Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill building courses for you to choose from because the steps that you choose to take today will help you to love what you do in the future. And that's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Let's be honest. The first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simon's on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm-hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away, because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. That's right, Joel. This episode we have some listener questions. Specifically, we have five listener questions. We always have five listener questions, <laughs> but we're going to be uh, talking about whether or not you should pay down your mortgage faster. We're going to talk about opening accounts for your kids, as well as investing in gold, which is something we've never talked about is the precious metals. Ooh, my precious. Do you have a gold tooth? Did you ever have any cavities as a kid and growing up? Uh, I think I had my first one maybe in my teens, but by then they were just using kind of the, the filling that they use now. Like the basic filling? Yeah, but no, no gold ever. No gold teeth. I'm lucky. I didn't have any cavities. I don't... Actually, I take that back. I may have had like one or two cavities as a kid, but since I've been a grown adult, brush twice a day. And I've always said, if you start to feel a cavity coming in, that you can just brush it out. But I've been told that that's not accurate. No, so. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think it is. I, I definitely think you should stay away from giving dental advice. Actually, remember the, the one time where you basically talked about how you never go to the dentist and we got multiple emails talking about how unwise that was. And I, you know what? I have to side with our listeners on that one. You should probably go get a checkup at some point. You know, this is an example of me being cheap, but it hasn't come back to bite me in the butt yet. Yet. So when it does, though, that's me being cheap. For for now, though, I'm just being pretty frugal. Okay. All right. 
Oh, but dude, I didn't want to talk about teeth. Let's talk about the iOS, which is the Apple operating software for phones. I heard there was just an update. I don't know. I'm an Android guy, so I prefer not to care. Yeah, it was, it was last month. You're a little behind the times. <laughs> but oh, I, we haven't talked about this. The new iOS update, it came with swipe text, which, man, that was one of the only things that was sort of pulling me towards the... Uh, Android side of things. Texting in a quarter of the time that it takes you to text. Yeah, you're like waving your finger around like a wand. You're just kind of like sliding all over your screen and like all the Harry of Potter of texting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I've been doing that now and I completely agree, man. It is amazing. I'm a huge fan of that. The thing with Apple that it, it surprises me that they are oftentimes years behind the curve when it comes to just kind of certain basic things that make it so much easier to use a phone. So I'm glad that Apple's finally gotten with the times or doing swipe text, but that was something they should have done, I don't know, four or five years ago. Yeah, it's one of those things where when they don't come up with it themselves, I think they like seriously vet it and make sure that it's not just like some passing fad or something, right? Yeah. But I also wanted to mention too, does your phone, do the droids allow you to block unknown callers? Yes. Oh, they do? Yes. Dang it. That's like another thing that Apple, I think they had just released with that iOS update. But I have the option to block all calls if it's a number that is not recognized on my phone. Which, dude, let me tell you, that saves my phone from buzzing so many times during the day because all these telemarketers have the, the number on my phone because of the different businesses. And it rings nonstop if I have it on silent mode. And so honestly, before I had it completely off to where it wouldn't buzz at all. But then I'm missing calls or texts from people I want to hear from. But now being able to completely silence unknown numbers, man, it has completely changed my life. All right. So I think this is actually different from, from what Android offers. I, and I think actually, I, I really like this new update from Apple because I love that idea of basically saying, if it's a number I don't know, don't bother me at all. Don't bother me at all. Yes, that is a great way for a phone to perform, especially with all the unwanted spam calls that we get these days. What I was referring to is that if, if I do get a call from a number that I don't know, I can then add it to my block numbered list, right? Like that, that's what I'm allowed oh, to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so I like the idea that I can block somebody after the fact, but what's even better is just shutting them all down from the get-go because I completely agree. It is such an annoyance. And there are so many more unwanted robocalls that we deal with They're these terrible, days. terrible, dude. Oh. It's astronomical, the, the percentage that it's grown of the amount of robocalls we're receiving. And so anything that kind of keeps it out of sight, out of mind, I think it's a good thing. And I hope Android follows suit with something similar. That That is groundbreaking stuff for Apple and a good thing for anybody who's uh, using an iPhone. So if you have an iPhone and you don't have that option turned on yet, just go to your settings, go to your phone app, and you can swipe that and turn that on right there. And voila, no more unknown callers, man. Uh, that sounds so nice. It's very nice. Lucky you. All right, Matt. And also lucky us because we're drinking a homebrew beer from some of our friends at Yeast Atlanta Brewers. Big thanks to our friend John for donating this beer to the show today. This beer is called 6A. It's a New England style Saison pale ale, which is like thrown in the kitchen sink there, man. It's like everything all in one. <laughs> I think we've had a beer from the East Atlanta Brewers on the show before. It was really good. I'm excited to have this one and we'll let folks know what we think about it at the end of the show. All right, Matt, on to the subject at hand. We are answering listener questions on the show today. And if someone out there listening has a question of their own that they want to submit to be on the show, well, just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. There are super simple directions there for you to submit your question. It takes just a few seconds. And we'd love to have your question on a show in the near future. With that being said, let's get to the first one. Hey, Matt and Joel, this is Danny in Frederick, Maryland. Just wanted to say thank you for your episode on mortgage refinancing. I had never truly considered refinancing in the past. Back in 2013, 
I had purchased my first home during the time of year when rates became super unstable and I was forced to lock in my 30-year mortgage at 4.5%. Did some shopping around and I currently have a rate lock at 3.25% for a 20-year term. So a lower rate, shorter term. My mortgage payments are about the same. However, when I look at my amortization table, I'm able to see that the portion of my payment going towards principal is significantly higher than my original mortgage. So hopefully that's good reason to be excited. Technically, I could have afforded a 15-year term. However, it just would have brought my bottom line up to an uncomfortable level. So I stuck with the 20-year term. I'm considering making principal payments towards my mortgage when I can as a way to lessen interest paid over the life of the loan while not affecting my bottom line, so kind of as a happy medium. Do you think principal payments are a good idea? Uh, What are your thoughts on principal payments in general? Let me know. All right, guys, if you're ever in the Frederick area, hit me up. We'll do a tour of Flying Dog or something. Take it easy, guys, and thanks again for all you do. Danny, nice man. What I love hearing is that you have made a change to your life and we get to hear about it, right? Like you heard something on the show and you're actually making changes. The rubber is meeting the road and that makes me really excited. Man, action, most important thing, right? You can hear a bunch of stuff, but if you don't take action on it, it, it's pretty meaningless. Yeah, sort of like a little success story that we've got here. But yeah, yeah, Danny, this is great. You know, your payments are staying roughly the same and you're able to knock off about four years of your mortgage and you're saving bukus of interest, this is yeah, a fantastic way to go. But you're asking whether or not paying additional principal payments, if that's a good idea. And the fact is, is it kind of depends, right? Prepaying on a mortgage is a great idea, but it just might not be the best course of action for you. You know, maybe if you were in a situation where you had PMI, where you had private mortgage insurance, making principal payments is an excellent idea in this situation in order to get that 20% in equity to completely drop PMI. Yeah, that PMI can be a drag on your monthly expenses. So if you're making additional principal payments in order to vacate PMI more quickly, well, then it could make sense. But ultimately, it comes down to your priorities. And, and we would say that it's more important to prioritize a solid emergency fund. And then next, to make sure that you're saving well for retirement. You specifically want to make sure that you're taking advantage of an employer match if you have one. And then max out those tax-advantaged accounts like HSAs and IRAs. Basically, what it comes down to is that you don't get to redo those years of investing in an IRA. You can never put that $6,000 in that IRA in the future. Uh, except small caveat is that you have until April to contribute to the previous years. So you technically can be in the future and contribute to the past, but only for four months. <laughs> Very limited window there. And Matt, it's totally important as well to know your own personal risk tolerance. So much of this question, the answer to this question depends on your individual money psychology. So personally, I don't know about you, Matt, I straddled the middle here. I personally prefer to use a strategy that involves less leverage in the process. So Danny, as you're thinking through this, you'll want to know what your risk tolerance is. And if you're just completely anti-debt and ready to pay it off as quickly as possible, and you just can't stand the idea 
of having it longer than you need to have it. Well, then you know what? For you, behaviorally, it, it might make more sense to actually start prepaying principal. But even as someone like me, who's fairly conservative, fairly middle of the road, I still am unwilling to, to prepay principal on my mortgages because when you've got a low rate, man, I love sticking with it. And did you, you know, you mentioned dedication. Like that's something else I think that's worth considering is your dedication. Like know your dedication, know the amount of discipline that you're going to bring to the table were you to not pay that additional money towards principal. If you are going to invest that money and you know you're going to be disciplined about that money, well, then that's a completely different story versus if you know that you're probably just going to spend that money on a really nice trip. If you know that you're just going to blow that money on lifestyle, well, paying down extra on your principal can be a way to kind of do some forced saving, some forced investing where you know that you've got a guaranteed rate of return. And Joel, you mentioned low interest rates. That's certainly something else to consider right now. It's really important to note that we are in a, a very interesting time with mortgage interest rates. They are at near all-time lows right now. And we don't know where they're going to go from here. But I'll keep the known quantity of a low fixed interest rate in exchange for the ability to invest more for my future and avoid taxes too with those tax benefits. It's just knowing whether or not I'm going to be committed enough to actually channel that money towards those investments. I got to know myself. Yeah, no, completely. I think if you're looking at it like one of those scales, like the scales of justice, but these scales can, I think, really help us weigh the proper decision. And so, yeah, if you are weighing prepaying principal versus investing in a 401k or an IRA, well, then I think it makes more sense to do the investing in particular, given the low interest rate environment that we're in. If you're weighing the idea of prepaying principal with taking an extra sweet vacation every year... I want to go to Tahiti. Yeah, yeah I would say, <laughs> you know what? I mean, not that vacations aren't important. You should have a great vacation. That Go for it. But I would say if you're weighing those two against each other, then clearly the better financial decision is to prepay principal. So yeah, it's important to take all that into account. But ultimately, it's just really hard to recommend that someone prepay on a mortgage when we're talking about interest rates potentially in the low 3% range. But Danny, hopefully that gives you what you need to know to make an informed decision that works for you. All right. We're going to talk some about 529 plans as well as buying a home in foreclosure. We're going to get to those right after the break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. 
It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out cachava. Just go to cachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making (laughs) making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back from the break. We're answering listener questions. And this next question comes from a listener who is attempting to save for the future for his daughters. Hi, guys. My name is Matt, and I'm from Massachusetts. I have been a listener to your show from the very beginning. I'm so thankful for how approachable and helpful your podcast has been. My question is in regards to opening an account for my daughters. My wife and I have two young daughters and I'm trying to find the best way to put money aside for them to use when they are older. My goal for this money would be an account that they could use flexibly. So if all of it goes to paying off student loan debt, they could. Or if they hopefully opt to not have incurred much student loan debt, to be able to use towards a down payment on a home or help with wedding expenses. I have hesitations when it comes to a 529 plan as there is a 10% penalty if it doesn't get used towards education, and I have heard it can directly affect scholarships. 
A custodial account seems like a good idea, but again, I don't want to affect scholarships when they reach their age of maturity if they do go to college. And also, Fidelity's Roth for Kids account looks like a really great idea, but I would have to wait until they are of age to have an income. And as this would be coming from my income, I believe that may be an ethical dilemma. Any help in this matter would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Matt, thanks so much for the question and thank you for listening since the very beginning. That takes some dedication because, you know, we've refined the show since the beginning and I think it's much better. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) But Matt, let's go ahead and answer your question. You're asking about setting aside money, saving money for your daughters. Specifically, you mentioned 529s real quickly. I'm glad that you are considering 529 plans, but it is important to consider the fact that they could affect your eligibility when it comes to receiving student aid. Keep in mind, though, that this largely has to do with who owns the account. Make sure that the plan is in your name and not in the name of, say, like a grandparent, for example, as that would have a much larger impact. This could be the difference in reducing your potential aid for one of your daughters from 5% even up to 50%. Yeah, Matt, and you you seem to have a reluctance to put your money into a 529 plan. And honestly, I feel the same way. If you go back and listen to an episode that we did a long while back about 529 plans, Matt and I kind of came down on the same spot, at least where we're at right now. We're not really prioritizing 529 plans for our kids. You have multiple kids. And and since you can transfer funds from one beneficiary to the other, a 529 plan could make solid sense for you. And that 10% fee, well, it stinks. But if you think at least one kid is likely to go to college, well, then it's not going to apply to you. Even if your kids get great scholarship help, you will still find yourself needing to make other college-related expenses like paying for housing, meal plans on campus, and computers. The list goes on for college-related expenses that aren't just tuition-based. So if you've written off a 529 plan for those reasons, I think it can make sense to contribute at least something. And in particular, if your state offers some sort of tax incentive for you to contribute to their state-sponsored plan. Yeah, Joel, you know, you mentioned that transferability, right? Like being able to realize the benefits of a 529 plan, not just in one kid, but the option to shift that over to another kid. That basically tells you that if you have multiple kids, like a 529 is a better option. And, you know, myself, like having four kids now, I think I am more seriously considering a 529 plan. You know, it's not necessarily going to become a priority for me, but it is something that I think I might kind of ramp up here in the future. Yeah, man, I think the reason why you and I both haven't contributed yet is because we prioritize working towards maxing out retirement accounts before you contribute to a 529 plan. So if you can't do that, if you're not contributing, let's say you have a 401k through work and the also the ability to contribute to a Roth IRA or traditional IRA, and you're not contributing the full amount that you can, I feel like 529 plans are only worth considering if, if you're doing really well at those primary tax advantage accounts that you have access to. Yeah. And Matt mentioned those kind of Roth IRA for kids accounts. While it's true that you can't contribute to your kids Roth IRA when they're not earning an income, make sure that you are prioritizing that when they do start earning an income. As long as the contributions don't exceed what they earn, they're good. And that's honestly, it's the single best way to kind of give them that nest egg for the future that isn't tied specifically to education. And it's flexible enough so that they can pull some of that out when they need it for a major purchase, like you know graduate school or buying that first home. Yeah, I love the idea of as your kids do get older, Matt, and, and as our kids get older, to actually, when they do start earning income, whether it's neighborhood jobs and filing taxes on their behalf and then contributing to a Roth, 
or whether it's an actual job right down the street at an actual place of business to kind of help them and teach them to, to save for the future by putting some of our own money into a Roth for them. And that's a great way to kind of incentivize them to, to put some of theirs in. We put some of ours in. I love that idea, but our kids aren't there yet. And it sounds like Matt's kids aren't there yet. Either. Yeah. Is Selma not earning enough money from her lemonade stand to uh, start contributing? <laughs> no, she did set one up the other day. She was selling her own artwork or she wanted to. And I was like, actually, Selma, I love you, but you, you actually have to give your artwork away. Like if you want to do that, you can't be charging our neighbors for your artwork. So she, she ended up giving it away and it was super fun. But yeah, so I, I wanted to mention to Matt too, that actually his own Roth can be this awesome vehicle because if you aren't maxing out your own Roth, we'll start doing that first and you kind of avoid this dilemma altogether. The, the beauty of your own Roth IRA is that you can withdraw those contributions tax-free as you see fit to give your kids money for college or other life events. Oh, and if 6K a year isn't enough, if you're looking to save more, well, don't forget contributing for your partner as well. Even if they aren't working outside the home, well, they qualify for a spousal Roth. And if you're thinking about 12, 15, 18 years of contributing to, to this Roth IRA, well, you're going to have a large sum of money to be able to, to pull out at any time for any reason uh, as gifts for your kids, in, in whether it's for college or anything else. Yeah, Joel, that spousal Roth, that's so clutch. Being able to essentially double the amount of money that you could flexibly withdraw without tax consequence is huge, right? Taking that from $6,000 to $12,000, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and it's flexible money, which which is why you know when we talked about the Roth IRA in our the glories of Roth IRA episode, <laughs> it was that's a huge reason. What for, a silly name! It's so good, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but that's a huge reason for why it's so good is is just the ultimate flexibility of that money. So yeah, if Matt is is looking for accounts for his kids, actually the best idea might be his own account, and then just being eventually generous with it. All right, Joel, we've got another question. Let's hear from Aaron about possibly purchasing a foreclosure. Hello and good morning. This is Aaron from New Jersey. I want to thank you all for making a podcast in which has turned money into more of a hobby rather than something I used to be scared of. So thank you for that. My question today has to do with foreclosure. My husband and I are looking into purchasing a home um, in the near future. And we have two friends that have succeeded with buying properties in pre-foreclosure. I've been researching online and most sites say that buying homes in pre-foreclosure or foreclosure as a first-time homebuyer is a really bad idea. I would love for you all to go into the different vocabulary, what the different stages of this process mean, and possibly if you have any insight or any experience in these states of a home's existence. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Aaron, thanks for your question. And I got to say, before anything else, money has turned into a hobby and it's not something you're scared of anymore. That is the coolest thing I've heard today. I'm so glad that you've been able to kind of change the script and that you're able to think about money differently. Like what an awesome way to go through life where, where money can be more of a hobby. That's so neat. But when it comes to your question, buying a foreclosure or pre-foreclosure, well, Congrats also on being in the position to be able to purchase a home. House shopping can be really exciting and it can be tempting to overspend. So we're glad that you're looking for a way to find a deal and buying a foreclosed home. Well, that is one way that some people do end up finding a deal in a home. Yeah. Well, quick question to you, Joel. Have you ever purchased a foreclosure or pre-foreclosure? Well, I have purchased a short sale, which is basically pre-pre-foreclosure. <laughs> it's, it's basically uh, uh, the bank and the current owner trying to come up with terms that they can offer in order to entice a buyer before the house actually starts going down that foreclosure process. 
And I got to say for me at that point in time, it ended up being a good experience. Nice, man. Yeah. So let's go ahead and kind of define it, right? You just touched on short sales. Before we make any recommendations, let's kind of discuss the differences specifically between a foreclosure and a pre-foreclosure. A home is in pre-foreclosure when a homeowner is at least three months late paying their mortgage and the lender, you know, that's when they file a default notice saying to basically like pay up or we're going to take the house. A home can be in this pre-foreclosure process from six months to a year, depending on the lender and your state. And a pre-foreclosure home might be listed on websites like Zillow, different directories like foreclosure.com if you are getting more serious about purchasing a pre-foreclosure. Or you can even search the public records, which are going to be the most accurate. Uh, if the owner doesn't make up those late payments, then at the end of that period, the lender or the bank, they foreclose on the home and they take ownership. So technically, at that point, the house is not in pre-foreclosure anymore. It has been foreclosed on. And in both cases, you can get a great deal, but it's not like it used to be, you know, like nine to 10 years ago during the housing crisis. Because housing, man, right now, it is hot in most markets. Yeah, Aaron, for, for most folks looking to buy their first home, we wouldn't recommend a pre-foreclosure or foreclosure because there can be a lot of pitfalls involved. Uh, these are typically distressed properties, which are being sold as is. So there can be a lot of repairs involved. Like Matt mentioned, nine or 10 years ago, there were a lot of foreclosures on the market. And there were a lot of these foreclosures that weren't snake bitten with a lot of these problems because it was basically an overall economic issue. And a lot of people couldn't afford their homes because of, of lost jobs or underemployment. But if someone has fallen into foreclosure in the current market, well, then there are likely lots of other issues. There can be additional liens on the property, back taxes that are owed, or just a property that's in disrepair. And if it's gone all the way into foreclosure, well, banks typically sell these at auction and the cash buyers are the ones snatching those up. Yes, you might be able to get a great deal, but it takes a lot of work. Buying a home by traditional methods takes lots of time and energy already, but buying a distressed home, well, that's like a part-time job. And that's why most of the folks making these purchases are investors. It actually is their job. So they're the folks that are at the courthouse steps buying a foreclosure. They know neighborhoods, street levels. They have done their best to assess the actual specific property that they're looking to buy in the case of a distressed sale. And so as someone looking to buy a home, like a home to actually live in, Competing against people that have greater expertise and knowledge than you is going to make it hard for you to actually end up getting a deal on a foreclosed home. Yeah. However, Aaron, if you are still interested and you have the time and the cash on hand, know that you also need to have some of that experience, right? Like that expertise that the folks who do this for a living that they have. We would highly recommend hiring an agent who is very experienced with foreclosures and making short sale offers. You know, you can try and Google to find one online in your area who's well-reviewed, but we would recommend asking around for a personal recommendation. You mentioned uh, that you've got two friends who have had some success with the uh, pre-foreclosures. They are going to be an incredible resource for you. You know, ask them, ask about the agents that they worked with, um, ask them how much of a deal they got, because you might find that after all the expenses associated with, you know, that agent, the time involved as well, that it may not be worth it. Yeah, and it's really important to note here too, Aaron, that it doesn't necessarily have to be a foreclosure or a pre-foreclosure in order to be a distress sale, in order for you to get an actual deal. Sometimes a distress sale can happen because a couple is going through a rough time and they're splitting up and they just have to get rid of this house and it has to happen soon. There can be a death in the family and this family just 
can't deal with the idea of holding on to the home. They, they have to sell it and they want to do it immediately. So it doesn't have to be a case in which you're looking at a foreclosure in order to get the best possible deal on a home. I think sometimes that's what's in people's minds. Oh, if I get a foreclosure, I'm going to get the best deal. And that can be the case if you know what you're doing in particular, but it doesn't have to be the way that you get the best deal. There are other ways to to find a good deal on the market, even listed on the MLS, like what you can find right now on Zillow or Redfin. Buyers are motivated to sell for different reasons. And if you can find out what that buyer's motivation is, that can help you assess whether or not you're going to be able to get that home for the price you want. All right. We've got a couple more questions, including our question about gold, as well as one about house hacks. And we'll get to those right after the break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. 
Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Matt, we're back. And you know what? I just want to know where the gold at, all right? <laughs> Do you remember that YouTube video? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> so good. All right, we'll have to post a link to that in our show notes. Dude, who hasn't seen that? I don't know if you haven't. You've been living under a rock for the past 10 years. Like, was that even before YouTube? No. Where would it have been? It would have been like Let's... E-Bombs World or something like that. You remember <laughs> E-Bombs? Like, that's where all the uh, G.I. Joe spoofs were as well. That's true. That's true. <laughs> all right. But let's get to Peter's question about investing in gold. Hi, guys. Thank you for continuing to make this show enjoyable as well as informational. My question is regarding investing in like gold or other valuable uh, physical investments. Um, like, is it a good idea? How would someone go about buying gold? When should you buy gold? And, like, what form should you use? Do you buy coins, bars, nuggets, anything else? Should it be avoided altogether? Just kind of curious about it. It's always been something I've been a little intrigued by. Thank you. Bye. All right, Peter. I'm glad you asked this question because this is not something we've talked about. But like all things related to money, when we don't talk about them, there's sort of this shroud of mystery that surrounds it, right? So let's go ahead and kind of shine a light on what we think about gold. First of all, just know that investing in gold, it's a hedge. Investors, they run to precious metals when we are in uncertain economic times in order to reduce the risk in their investments. You can own funds that invest in physical gold, or you can own stock in gold and mining companies. And even though it's a hedge, investing in gold is incredibly volatile. The swings can be huge. They can even be larger than having your funds in a total stock market index fund. And the upside just isn't as good either. Last year, Warren Buffett, he pointed out how $10,000 invested in gold in 1942 would be worth about $400,000 today. That sounds pretty good. Right. Until you compare that to if you invested that $10,000 in an S&P 500 fund, which would be worth about $51 million. Oh, uh, that's so, a big difference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not even close. Gold seriously underperforms actually investing in a widely diversified index fund, which means you're investing in the American economy. Yeah, but so I guess that brings up the question, Matt. Why do folks talk about investing in gold so much? There are lots of media ads and, and there are dark corners of the internet and there are email newsletters that want to talk about gold and precious metals and how they're going to take off because of a trade war or fears of recession. But really, that's all fear-based marketing. Sure, gold might do phenomenally well for a little while, 
like we said, in, in the short term, it can have huge swings, but you can't predict it. And I prefer to invest my money rather than shelter it. But the reason investing in gold gets a lot of buzz is because of those potential wild swings and because people stand to benefit monetarily from your investing in their particular gold strategy. Yeah. So Joel, on that note, we would not recommend investing in gold. However, Peter, if you know you do really want to buy some gold, just make sure that you don't go hog wild. You, know, you asked about how to go about investing. You don't want to own actual physical gold in your house. There can be big premiums associated with purchasing actual coins. Plus gold bars underneath your mattress, super uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, not cozy at all. And on top of that, they can be really hard to sell. Uh, so the most efficient way to buy gold is in ETF form. So look at some of the ETF offerings that are out there. Spider Gold Shares, which is the ticker symbol GLD, or iShares Gold Trust have both been around a long time and are, are really solid. And you're actually buying physical gold when you own these funds as they own bullion. And so the smart recommendations that are out there have always been to have maybe 5% and definitely no more than 10% of your portfolio in precious metals. And Joel and I, we would both completely agree with this. Yeah, I'm partial to the 5% or less, potentially zero investment in gold. And I think you know the, that number, Matt, that you mentioned about investing in gold in 1942 and what you would have today is just kind of this really great indicator of how little of our money we should actually have invested in gold. Yeah, it doesn't perform. Yeah. Ultimately, gold is a speculative investment. And if you are a long-term investor, Peter, then steer clear. Warren Buffett also said, let's go back to the, the Oracle of Omaha here. He said, gold is a terrible investment over time. It just sits there and stares at you, <laughs> which <laughs> a little awkward, but it's true. It, it, it's something that we completely agree with. It's not something that you want to own. In particular, you're young and you're looking to maximize your returns over time. And having even 5 or 10% of your portfolio in gold can be really nice in maybe a one-year span. But if you're looking at a 30-year span, it's going to have a huge drag on how well your money is actually working for you. All right, man. And our final question comes from someone who is interested in house hacking. Let's hear it. Oh, you know, we like the house hacking. We do. Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Cheryl from upstate New York. I love your show. And I have a couple of follow-up questions about the house hacking episode. My husband and I are looking to buy our first house and we're considering doing a house hack with a very good friend of ours. We're not sure what this would look like yet, whether it would be a roommate situation, an in-law suite, or an apartment above the garage. So my first question is, when figuring out a budget for house shopping, should we factor in the rent that our friend will be paying, or should our budget be based on what my husband and I can afford by ourselves? My concern is that as first-time homebuyers, I'm not sure that we can afford a place with the extra living space for our friend in order to make the house hack work. We were planning on keeping our mortgage at 25% of our take-home pay, and so I'm wondering if it would be okay to increase this slightly in order to make the house hack work. My second question is, how do we decide how much our friends should be paying each month? Should we take all of the expenses and split it so that our friend is paying one third? 
Should we look up comparable rentals in the area? Should we also be splitting all of the utilities? What would be the best way to handle this so that it's fair for everyone? And my third question is, do you have any tips or advice about renting to a friend versus renting to a complete stranger? For example, I'm guessing we should still have a standard lease agreement, but I'm wondering if there are any other nuances that we should be aware of. I'm looking forward to hearing your answers. Thanks, guys. All right, Cheryl, let's get even more in-depth in into the topic of house hacking, which we did cover in a recent episode. I'm glad it got you thinking outside the box. You said you're first-time homebuyers, so many first-time homebuyers. This isn't even something that's on their radar, and this is something that is going to have a huge impact on your overall finances over time because housing costs are the number one expense in most people's monthly budgets. All right, so let's get into the nitty-gritty. I love the idea of 25% of your take-home pay being kind of the cap on what you're willing to have as a monthly mortgage. That's a great goal. If we're talking about a house hack though, increasing that a little bit, that's not a bad idea if it means increased income. Basically, house hacking and dramatically reducing your mortgage payment, well, that is overwhelmingly going to pay for that increase in the monthly mortgage amount and a heck of a lot more. So I think taking on that added risk for that massive extra reward, well, that's a good way to go, especially with a built-in tenant already kind of in hand. And Cheryl, you mentioned the 25% of your take-home pay. That's a great guideline, but sort of at the core of what I think you're asking is, is whether or not you should consider the forecasted rent that you are going to be able to bring in from your friend. And the answer to that, I think, is 100% yes. You don't necessarily want to increase the overall end percentage of your income that will be going towards your mortgage. Because if you do this correctly, your mortgage payment will be offset by that rent. In this way, I think it's good to sort of treat this like a business. It's good to forecast that income, maybe conservatively, right? You don't necessarily want to count on the best possible rent that you would be able to pull in from that house hack. But I think you should definitely consider that when you are looking at properties that might be a little more expensive to allow for a house hack. Yeah. When we bought the house that we're currently in, Matt, we qualified for the mortgage easily, uh, but it did stretch us past our hopeful limits of what we would actually take on when it came to a monthly mortgage payment. But it was so worth it for us because we knew without a doubt that we could rent out the back of the house and we could do so almost immediately. And similar to Cheryl, it was a friend situation and it worked out really well. And she stayed there for almost five years. But We also knew, and I think this is an important factor for Cheryl, that even if our friend, even if it hadn't worked out, even if our friend had left pretty quickly after, moved to another city, taken another job, you never know what's going to happen with a friend and their living situation. And, you know, maybe they find something better, find a significant other, whatever it is. But you want to make sure that the place that you buy is easily rentable on the open market. You mentioned that it could be a roommate type situation. And if you're expanding the amount of mortgage that you're willing to take on for a roommate style situation, well, you might not be willing to rent that place out to a random person that you find off of Zillow. Or even better, Craigslist. Or even better, exactly. (laughs) But you might be forced into that situation if you've kind of taken on a mortgage that's like too big for its own britches. Like if you can't actually afford it without renting out a room in your house, then that's a situation you don't necessarily want to find yourself in. If it's a mother-in-law suite, if it's an accessory dwelling unit, if it's a basement apartment, that can be different. And you might feel more comfortable with renting that out to a total stranger. But if this deal is completely contingent, on your friend staying put, that's when I would be pretty nervous. I would want some flexibility in this house hack. I think that's really important. 
Yeah, if it's a duplex, like that's going to be no problem, right? Like most people would probably consider renting uh, a duplex. But yeah, like if it's a room in your house and it's got a shared bathroom, that's way less than ideal. Yeah, completely. And Matt, let's talk about actually renting to that friend. It is different from renting to a complete stranger. And honestly, Matt, when, when we had our friend rent out the back part of our house, we didn't have a lease agreement signed. This was a friendship that had been established over a lot of years. We felt really comfortable just kind of going month to month and letting our friends stay there kind of at their whim. We never raised the rent. It was just a a super amiable situation. But honestly, that's not what I would recommend. That's not what I would uh, advise Cheryl do because it's just not the best way for most people to go. Only you actually know what that relationship is like. And ultimately, I think to, to kind of be able to maintain that friendship, you're gonna need to approach it in a business-like manner, at least in part. Yeah, right. Like that's kind of more how I would approach it, man. Like I'm a more by the books nerd type, and I would totally have an official lease that's that's signed. However, because it is a friend, I'd likely be a bit more lenient, right? If things came up, but that doesn't change the fact that I would still want certain guidelines, certain expectations set on the front end. So in this case, you could consider a modified maybe more friend-friendly lease, especially since you are going to give them a small discount. But having something signed that everyone has agreed to, that can kind of save to a lot of uncertainty, maybe a lot of stress and having to have some of those conversations. Yeah, you want to avoid awkwardness with your friend. Know that renting to your friend can be wrought with issues. They might ask for lots of repairs, repairs that you deem unnecessary, or they might be late in paying rent consistently. This can create bad blood between the two of you. So if this is a really good friend, talk through this well on the front end or spell it out in the lease. That can help you avoid some of those pitfalls. Maybe even schedule a time like every three months or so for you guys to have a beer and chat about how things are going. Nice, man. Yeah, like put it on the calendar and actually do it. That way you don't have to ask for an uncomfortable conversation. It's already there for both of you. Like, all right, December 22nd and every three months thereafter, we're having a beer together and we're specifically talking about how things are going. That gives you both a chance to kind of, in an easy atmosphere, talk about things and share your thoughts. I kind of, I love that as a way for you to connect as friends, but then also talk about kind of this business relationship that you have, but on friendly terms. Yeah. Plus, if you're going to kind of boot them to the curb, it's always better to do that over a beer. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to need you out by tomorrow. (laughs) At least buy them a beer. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, I think Cheryl's ultimately onto something. I mean, I think house hacking is clutch. And I know for us, our friend slash tenant was able to pay almost half the mortgage for us for a lot of years. And then we kind of grew into using the whole house more recently. And it's just been awesome for us. So yeah, house hacking, we're fans of it, right, Matt? I'm a fan. You're like the house hacking pro though, man. You've been doing it for a number of years now. Well, you know. I'm getting into it via the Airbnb side of things, but uh, you've got some experience. Well, it's just awesome, dude. It really is. Like It's like the biggest game changer. It really is. It's huge. So yeah, Cheryl, best of luck with your house hack. And Matt, what else are we fans of, by the way? We are fans of beer. Yeah. And so let's go ahead and segue to our beer this episode. And it was called 6A. This is by Yeast Atlanta Brewers. And this is a New England style Saison Pale Ale. Yeah, East Atlanta, they're our friends, local homebrewers. They make super fun beers. And and so, yeah, this one was a pleasure to get to try. Matt, I'll give you my tasting notes really quickly. Tell me. It was definitely a nice little hoppy Saison from our neighborhood homies, I thought. It was a touch earthy. There were some nice floral hop notes at the same time. And it just had this like balanced quality. I love like hops in a Saison. Like the when you can get kind of those two separate kinds of styles, like a pale ale and a Saison to meet together in perfect harmony. And the guys from East Atlanta did a great job on this one. 
I mean, let's touch on the name, 6A, right? Uh, I'd reached out to John because I wasn't sure if that was the actual name of the beer, but it turns out it is. 6A is actually uh, a highway. It's Route 6A up in Massachusetts, and it runs along Cape Cod. That's where John's folks live. So he's going to dig in down into his roots a little bit, giving this New England uh, Saison a proper name. So I like that about this beer, man. I like it when there are names that mean something to a specific beer. But let me tell you my thoughts on it real quick. To me, it had that light kind of funkiness that you kind of find in Saisons, right? But it's not like a stinky farmhouse. It wasn't overwhelming. I agree. It definitely had kind of some of that hoppiness going on. But it, to me, it could drink like a smoother sort of Saison. It almost drank like a Belgian beer. It kind of had some of those sort of sweeter yeasts. Definitely an enjoyable beer. I'm very thankful that John donated this one to the show, man. Yeah. Well, you know, the Yeast Atlanta guys, they know how to use a proper Belgian yeast. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in their name. So yeah, thanks to our friends over there for donating this beer to the show. And Matt, it's always fun to tackle listener questions. I look forward to doing it again two weeks from today. And for folks that want to submit their question to the show, well, it's super easy to do that. And the instructions are available on our website. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask to submit your question for an upcoming episode. And if you enjoy this podcast and have found this episode helpful, we would love for you to subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your podcast and head over to Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us over there as that helps others to find this show. So Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, man. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.